Welcome to the Big Ideas for Small Business podcast. Join us as our host and fellow small business owner, Tim Hayden, discusses topics beneficial to businesses of all industries. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Big Ideas for Small Business. I'm your host, Tim Hayden, and I'm, um, I'm excited today to have one of my newer friends with me, Gordon Blocker, uh, from the from um, that from the table group, and uh, he's going to talk to us about some cool stuff today that I'm really excited about. And if you don't know what table group is, you'll find out in a minute. Hey, so Gordon, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me, Tim. Excited to be here. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's great. So, hey, Gordon, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I probably should start personally. So, I am uh, from a big family. I'm one of seven. Grew up in Dallas, Texas. My dad's name is Truman. He's an engineer at Texas Instruments, and my mom is uh, from Greenville, South Carolina. So I've talked to Tim a lot about our roots there and uh, near Greenville, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. They met at the University of Texas and um, one of seven. Uh, there's four boys, three girls in my family. All of us graduated from the same high school in Richardson, Texas. I went there to TCU to play soccer and that's where I met my wife, Shauna. She's a swimmer and I was a soccer player and we have five now uh, with a couple of additions because my oldest is 25, Abigail. And uh, we have Lane, my son-in-law, my grandson, Case, another grandson on the way in March. And then my son, Zachary, son, Benjamin, Gracie and Sam rounds off the, the blocker clan. And then in terms of me, you know, I'll get a little bit more into my role at the table group, but um you know, I've got had a diverse career. I started off in nonprofit and traveled overseas as well, and then found myself reading the five dysfunctions of a team in 2007, I believe. And so, part of my story is just, uh, just like anyone else, just working with teams and groups and reading uh, these ideas, and then uh, made the transition formally to the table group in 2013 to join them as a consultant. So that's a little bit about me. Oh, that's cool. And hey, so for our listeners, you know, we're we're located in Anderson, South Carolina. So Greenville's about a half hour from us. So, yeah, you know, right. Gordon, you've got some roots that are real close to where we are. So yeah, I'm very proud of that. Yeah. No, no, so so that's great. Hey, and uh and for the listeners, so this is, you know, we're listening to this podcast in January 2022. It's a new year. Yeah. And uh, you know, hey, so when we have a new year, a lot of times we have new goals and things. And as we start talking today about um org health, you know, that may be someone, that may be something that as they're planning 2022, maybe this will whet their appetite about, you know, whenever we get into some of our conversation. And for the listeners, this is going to be a multi-series, I mean, a multi, yeah, a multi-episode series. We're not sure if it's going to be two or three, so we'll just find out as we go through. So, yeah. and, uh, and we appreciate Gordon being on. Hey, so Gordon, um, hey, talk a little bit, tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, you and you being a consultant and tell us about the table group. Yeah. Well, uh, you've mentioned that we're going to go into a new year here. And what is not new are the things that uh, have really bothered Pat Lencioni when he was a kid. So uh, the reason why we're called table group is that we believe that when you get people around the table, like the table itself is a very powerful tool. Uh, because if you can get people around the table, they can have a measure of humility and really debate and discuss issues. Uh, everything starts to unlock, you know, but today a lot of people trust in their technology or their processes or their systems. And they miss the fact that just that human factor is the most important thing. Uh, I think the story of the business is best to be told a little bit in Pat's story himself. So he'll talk a lot about his relationship with his father. He has a lot of respect for his father. And he simply talks about the fact that when his dad came home from work, 
he noticed that his dad was miserable. And uh, even at that age, he thought to himself, man, what, what in the heck would, would dad be doing all day um, being away from me, you know, working so hard and it would make him miserable. That just doesn't make sense. And then Pat later in his career became a consultant, started working with lots of clients, got exposure to lots of other organizations and realized, you know, sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. But the reason is not necessarily what we would call the smart side of the business, the strategy, the marketing, the sales. There's other factors, politics, confusion, uh, morale, productivity. And uh, he lovingly said to his boss, you know, I don't think the problem with this particular group of project is, is the strategy. I think it's the dynamics of this team. It's the politics of confusion. And his boss said, you know, that's great, Pat. It's just not our job to fix it. And he said, well, they, it should be. And so that's when he founded the table group and started with a small team there in, uh, in Oakland, California. And uh, the rest is history. Started writing books. And the Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which is his third book, is still um, very, very popular and, um, and on, on a lot of best-selling lists even today after, oof, I don't even know, uh, close to maybe 20 years or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's great. And I know, uh, you know, Pat is one of my favorite business authors. Mm-hmm. And primarily, he writes leadership fables. They're very easy to read. Uh, right. They're simple. So, you know, that's how, and honestly, that's how we got connected is, you know, me just taking, looking at taking the next step. So we'll get into that in the, in future conversations. Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story about that. He, he, he decided he wanted to write books that someone could read getting on a plane and going coast to coast. If you could get on the plane mm-hmm. and finish the book before you land coast to coast flight, that'd be a good thing. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of half read and unread books on our shelves. Yeah, hey, that's a great point. You know, and and you're right. You could you could read, uh, you know, not the advantage. Probably any of the other books uh-huh. you could read on yeah. an airplane you're from one coast to the other. That's good. Yeah. Hey, so um, you know, um, Gordon, why is organizational health important to you? Well, you know, when I first read the five dysfunctions of a team, and I think a lot of people see this, Pat puts to words what a lot of people are experiencing that didn't have words. They're really quite simple. And yet it's the stuff we're not talking about. So I think it's really important because it's the things that people are thinking about and they're experiencing. But for whatever reason, it's the things that are uh, talked about the least. And when Mm -hmm. I first read the book and read the story, you immediately identify with certain characters and just thinking, why are we not having these conversations? And and it's important because the dignity of people is important. And, And we believe that people should experience dignity and fulfillment at work. Our core purpose is to make work more fulfilling by making organizations healthier. So if you value people, if you value human beings and you value what we are put on this earth for, to be fruitful, to multiply, to to be productive, to be creative, then you value organizational health because it puts people in the best position to feel and experience that fulfillment and just to be productive, which is what I think everybody wants. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, so um, what... Gordon, what is organizational health? Well, um, it's a good question. And it's, you know, it's so it's so all-encompassing. Sometimes it's hard to put your arms around it or define it. But one of the simplest ways we like to look at it is just to ask leaders about success, right? Success is a word people use, but they don't really, what does that mean? Were we successful last year? Does that mean we just made $1 or we were profitable? Or what does it mean? We like to think of, you know, to be truly successful, you have to be two things. You have to be smart plus healthy. Smart would just say, yeah, I mean, we want to take smart for granted. You need to be, you need to have great systems. You need to have great processes. You need to have great operations, sales, marketing, strategy, finance. But on the flip side, we would say these are the five factors we'd say that would define a really healthy organization. Minimal amount of politics, a minimal amount of confusion, a minimal amount uh, and a high degree of morale, 
a high degree of productivity, and low turnover of your best people. Those five factors, if you measured that against anything, so we like to say, you know, sort of just to joke around and say, imagine you had the five smartest astronauts in, in the capsule, but they had a lot of politics, a lot of confusion, low morale, low productivity and turnover. It's probably, it's going to crash. You can mm-hmm. put players on a team and they're very talented, but they're not really, they're not really working together. Um, those are the factors that applied against any of the smarts. So we say that health is the multiplier of the smarts. Healthy organizations tend to get smarter. Smart organizations do not naturally get healthier. And so it's about combining those two. I could tell you lots of consultants and programs and processes that try to make you smarter. You can point to a lot of things, you know, you know, sort of conventionally back in the day, we used to talk about, you know, team building and things like that, which are a little bit, you know, sometimes hokey and goofy sometimes. But putting the two together is what we would call organizational health in the work that we do. Okay. Oh, that's good. Hey, so, um, you know, so why should businesses care about organizational health? You know, here's the irony is that, you know, let's just say you're just, you don't get it. You don't necessarily, you read some of Pat's stuff and for whatever reason, the stories don't mean much to you, but you just, you just someone who wants a successful business. I mean, let's just be honest. You want to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, I still think organizational health is your best bet. Ultimately, you want results, right? And and to get those results, you're going to have to address those issues. There are issues that affect the productivity, that affect the decision-making, that affect how people show up. And if you don't address those issues, you might have short-term success, um, but probably not long-term success. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, we want businesses to succeed. What we What we don't want is for people to perceive organizational health as like, well, Hey, we got along today. It was a lot of fun. Oh, and we lost a bunch of money or we got our butt kicked in the market. That's not what we're talking about. It's called The Advantage. So Pat's one of Pat's most popular books and and probably the book you might want to start with if you want to just understand organizational health overall is The Advantage. Well, it's called The Advantage because you could just call it The Competitive Advantage. Everyone's looking for a competitive advantage. But the reality is, is the, the, the playing field has been leveled quite a bit in certain areas. If, I, if, if Timmy said, Hey, we're, you know, we're competing out in the market because we got the best prices. Like, really? Didn't your competitors probably say that? Oh, well, we got the best process. Really? You know, we have the best customer service. We have the best technology, all that stuff's it's out there, right? People have that, that access to it, but in organizational health, those, those other side of things, those are where, uh, you know, Pat would say there's probably untapped still people are, aren't tapping into it enough. So you have the opportunity to differentiate yourself. One of my favorite uh, favorite quotes is from a, 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 a basketball player. I, I, I can't say I root for because I'm from Dallas, but I definitely respect, which is Tim Duncan out of the San Antonio Spurs. Mm-hmm. And one time, David Letterman just said, you know, David, it's pretty clearly documented that you guys play different. You operate different as an organization. Um, why doesn't everybody just mimic you? Why don't they copy you? And Tim lovingly said, you know what, Dave? I don't know, actually. I'm just so glad they don't. So for right now, people are not having this conversation. There's a lot of people out there that are not talking about politics and confusion. They're talking about, hey, it's got to be a better process or a better piece of technology or blah, blah, blah. And they miss the other side. So they miss that advantage. Hmm. Uh, I mean, th- that's that's good. And, and there's there's so much depth that could be continue to be discussed with that. But, yeah. um, you know, so, uh, you know, there's a, one key piece. And you talked about the five dysfunctions of a team with Pat. You know, yeah. so um, and and that's part of the advantage. And I've read it several times. 
is that, hey, so for our listeners that may not have read any of Pat's in, in uh-huh. books or anything, talk a little bit. You know, so what are the five dysfunctions of a team? Yeah, it's his most popular book. It remains his most popular book, even though it's one of the older ones. It's just so stinking simple, and it it, it, it produces uh, so much great conversation. The five dysfunctions are this, an absence of trust, a fear of conflict, a lack of commitment, an avoidance of accountability, and an inattention to team-based results. So right at the base of that model, it's a, you know, if, if you've seen the book, it's a like a pyramid or a triangle, and the base is the big, the biggest piece building trust. Now, a lot of people are actually talking about that. Another great author that people have probably heard of is Brene Brown talks about trust or vulnerability. What does it really mean to ask for help, to admit a weakness and how that, how people endear and respect leaders who are willing to be a human being and build that real vulnerability-based trust. If you build vulnerability-based trust, you can have healthy conflict. And what we find in healthy organizations is there's lots of conflict about ideas. There's very little conflict about people in relationships. In an unhealthy organization, people are like, oh, we got to resolve conflict because it's always about relationships, people, and drama. We love conflict because it should be about issues. But without that trust, you know, the conflict will be mostly about people. Once you have healthy conflict about things, we find people are able to more readily commit. And, and you think, okay, why wouldn't people commit? It's my job. I, you know, I'm being paid to do it. But let's be honest. I mean, People definitely can fall short of commitment. And what they'll do is they'll comply. They'll try to defer to consensus. People will sort of give a minimal effort to things or even worse, they'll nod their heads and then they will work against you. I mean, Tim, I talked to a lot of leaders and we say, okay, let's look at the payroll. Let's look at your people. How many people are you paying to undermine you and your leadership in this organization? I mean, it wow. happens. That's yeah. right. I mean, you're many people are paying other people not only to not commit, but to play politics mm. and to cause confusion. Then you have accountability. Now, accountability, when we do a team assessment, which we've got a, a formal team assessment, we've run with tens of thousands of teams. Um, accountability is most often the lowest scores. Mm. And that's because I think there's a lot of uh, fears about accountability. There's a lot of misconceptions about it. But we love peer-to-peer accountability. We love people regularly pushing each other because accountability is really recast as protecting each other and pushing each other, not just this occasional criticism or this dramatic conversation you have to have. It's like we're constantly pushing each other. Uh, as, as table group consultants, when we work together, probably in, in, in the course of one day, we might hold each other accountable a half a dozen times just through a hard conversation like, hey, Tim, here's what you need to do differently. Hey, have you thought about this? Hey, what, what are you doing over there? Hey, Gordon. Uh, and that's what great teams do when there's that trust, conflict, and commitment. It's like, great, let's just push each other. That leads to the results. A lot of people just think the results is the overflow of those four things, but um, it's the dysfunction is called the inattention to team-based results or, or, or maybe another way to say it is collective results. And that therein lies the ultimate tension of teams, individual or collective, individual mm-hmm. or collective. And, you know, we're all human beings. So you're like, hey, Tim, I've got my job description. I've got my bonus structure. I've got my salary. Just leave me alone. Let me go do my job. But, you know, you don't want team members like that. You right. want people showing up saying, I'm here for Sergeant Metal. I'm here for Sergeant Metal's customers. I want to put the, the group in the best position possible. And that's attention. And so, you know, we look at behaviors like, am I willing to commit to something even if I initially disagreed? Am I willing to sacrifice things for the good of others? Those kind of things are what make for great teams 
when there's not a bunch of egos and everybody's willing to fight for the collective. That's the, mm-hmm. those are the five dysfunctions of a team where we actually have resources that call them the five behaviors. Cause you could flip them all mm-hmm. and right. just turn them into a positive. Yeah. No, that's good. Hey, um, why are these five dysfunctions of a team important in organizational health? Well, first of all, you know, when Pat wrote the advantage, he then came out with what, what we call the four disciplines of work health. And, and that's the first one. So even though, that sounds like a lot of work of what I just went over. It's actually, you're just getting started when you just form a team and you're constantly working on those five things. It's actually only the first of four disciplines. So first discipline is building a team so that you got to do that. You got to overcome the five dysfunctions, but second is to create clarity. Third is to over communicate the clarity and four is to reinforce the clarity through healthy human systems. So the reason why the building the team is so important is that you, you know, it's not the only thing for sure, but if you, if you have a political team or a dysfunctional team, you're not going to probably be able to do much else. But if you have a great team, it's not like you're done. You're really just getting started. So you take a team who's overcome all that stuff and like, okay, great, Gordon, we're, we're done. No, actually, you just got started because now we need to debate and discuss clarity and make decisions and push this organization and get, you know, get started. Okay. Now that's good. Hey, what is the, so you just mentioned it, but I'll ask it again. Yeah. So what's the what's the org health model? Yeah. So Pat came out with the advantage in 2012, and a little bit like a, a musician. So he had had a, I'll just say it's seven or eight books before that, and it was kind of like the greatest hits, right? Because he had written these other books that had to do with these pieces and parts, and then he had to pull it all together. And it wasn't really a new idea. He'd been talking about the four disciplines from way back, but he just it was a great opportunity to pull it all together with those four disciplines. And, you know, I tell you what, the word that I should focus on, Tim, honestly, is just that word itself, discipline. Mm-hmm. I think people are looking for the magic bullet. I tell you, my favorite part of the, the book, The Advantage, is the first 13 pages. Mm-hmm. And in those thir- first 13 pages, what I'll do to leaders, I'll just say, hey, I know you probably don't need another book, but if you'll read these 13 pages, let me take you for a cup of coffee and we'll talk about it. And in those 13 pages, he makes the case for organizational health. And then he tells you three reasons why we don't do it. That's, that's far more interesting sometimes. Like, why not? And there's three reasons. One, he calls them these biases. One is called the adrenaline bias. We're just so busy. We just love to do stuff. We spin our wheels. We're in the hamster wheel, blah, blah, blah. And so we just, we just can't even stop. Yeah. It's like, yes. Amen. Guilty. Right. Number two is I'm raising my, I'm raising my (laughs) hand to Gordon as I'm saying that as he's saying. Exactly. I mean, we just can't stop. We can't stop doing stuff. Number two is we call it the, uh, the sophistication bias. And that's where, let's be honest. We're looking for the silver bullet. We're not looking to learn a discipline. We don't want something simple and hard to do. We want something sophisticated and easy to do. Like, you know, you go to like the TV and you walk to watch a commercial on losing weight or something like that. We're looking for a pill, right? If I take this pill or I do this, you know, special diet or whatever, I'm going to lose the weight really fast. As opposed to like, hey, why not just eat well and exercise? Mm-hmm. There's an idea. Yeah. You know, these things are not complicated. They're just really hard to do in developing these disciplines. The last bias is we call the quantification bias. Now, we'd have to admit, we probably err on the side quite a bit of, you know, not wanting to quantify everything. Um, but there are qualitative ways to look at organizational health. And, and it's, and, but, but people, you know, we really, really love to measure things. And sometimes things like politics, morale, productivity, you would say, yeah, I know those are real. I just can't put them on a spreadsheet and we tend to fear things that we can't measure quantitatively. It's great to measure it if we can, 
but that's that's not a reason to not start. And organizational health, as I've already mentioned, I mean, these these ideas are real. It's just not always easy to put them on uh, black and white and put them on a spreadsheet. Mm. That's good. And, and so, you know, you had mentioned it earlier, you know, so the, you know, the org health model, and you yeah. talked about, you know, those first 13 pages, which I agree with you. I think that's yeah. a great conversation. Right. Is, you know, the, the, it's, it's about build, you know, discipline one through four, build a cohesive mm-hmm. leadership team. Correct. Yeah. Right. Create, create. And then the rest of it's about clarity, create clarity. Yep. Over communicate clarity and reinforce clarity. So, um, why is clarity such an important part in organizational health? Yeah, yeah, it's so funny, Tim, because I'm reflecting on our conversations recently because we had, you know, roughly three or four offsites. We've known each other for close to a year. And then you came to me and said, okay, Gordon, I finally get what you're saying about clarity. And why is that? Because everybody's, there's a lot of noise out there. And I think one of the problems is we're misconceiving when we talk about clarity we're talking about a tool to make decisions. A lot of people hear clarity and they think about internal and external marketing. Let's let's go get a mission statement. Let's come up with some core values. This will be great. We'll put a t-shirt out, put it on the website, put it on the wall. And basically people just roll their eyes at that. When we talk about clarity, we're talking about a tool for making decisions. That's what we have to do. The, the greatest organizations make better, faster decisions, but it doesn't mean they're easy. One of our um, you know, marquee clients and dear friends is Southwest Airlines. We can tell mm-hmm. lots of stories about them. And, and many of their great decisions are you know, publicized. Everybody sees them, sees them in the market. It's like scratching your head. One of those key decisions was in 2008 when everyone started charging for bags during the financial crisis. And you think about, you're thinking, wait a minute, charging for, that's a lot of revenue every year for an airline. And they're one of the few, I, I, don't, I haven't done the research myself, Personally, as someone who flies, I can't name another airline that's different that that doesn't charge for bags like Southwest. Mm-hmm. But when they have clarity and they have their values, they have their their strategic anchors, they know who they are, they can have those debates and say, we're gonna make this really hard decision that's gonna cost us some money on the front end. Hopefully it's gonna make us a lot of money on the back end. But without that clarity, how do you make it? It's just a knockdown drag out based on everybody's personal whims and values. But if you have organizational clarity, you're able to anchor those decisions and stay on track and not, not let things get off the rails. Oh, that's good. So, um, Gordon, we could sit here for another hour uh-huh. and discuss this because, you know, the topic goes real deep, real fast. Yeah. And so, you know, for our listeners that are maybe, maybe wanting to, you know, Maybe want to get a little deeper, you know, maybe want to try to understand more, you know, what's one piece of advice that you may would give them as we start to close our podcast down today? Well, I, I tell you, I, here's, here's what Pat does so well that I think then also leads into the piece of advice. So what happens is Pat with his books and with his speaking, it takes leaders and leaders um, are obviously uh, pretty lonely. Sometimes leaders have big egos. Uh, but sometimes underneath those egos is um, just, uh, you know, uh, some insecurity, right? And, and so what happens is Pat gets up there on stage or writes his books. And what you end up doing is you realize, you know what, this is not that complicated. Um, you laugh at yourself a little bit and you're willing to just drop your shield a little bit. And what is so fascinating is to watch Pat speak in front of all these people and then leaders who are pretty tough pretty isolated, you know, pretty insecure. They just go, you know what? Shoot. Okay. Let's just talk about this. Let's get some feedback from some people. Right. As opposed to being so guarded. Right. 
you know, Pat lovingly said to me one time, he said, Gordon, we actually don't work with dysfunctional organizations. I was like, what do you mean? I thought that's the, you know, what are you talking about? He goes, well, the really dysfunctional ones would never be willing to talk about this. So Mm -hmm. my advice is just, you know, Tim, I think you're a great example of someone on prior on the further end of the continuum. You're like, Hey, does somebody know something? I just want to know what it is. I just want to learn. I want to figure out where I've got my blind spots. I want to grow. But, you know, you, most leaders are on the other end of that continuum and they're a bit defensive. So my my advice would be drop your shield a little bit, drop the defenses, get some feedback from some from your teammates. Uh, you know, Pat, you know, talks about the emperor with no clothes. Right. It's just it's really easy to get isolated and everyone's just basically telling you what they think you want to hear instead get people to give you some feedback and say, Hey, what do you really think about this organization? How do you really think we're doing? How true are we to our values? Do we even have values? How will you describe this culture? Leaders very rarely solicit that feedback. And when they do, they're going to be surprised and it's going to sting a little bit, but then it's going to say, okay, all right, politics, confusion, you know, morale, productivity, turnover, these are some hard things. And I just need to be honest and look at where we are today and assess where we are today and then figure out how much of the, how much of this do I really need to work on? Yeah, I'll I tell you, share one more thing with you, Tim, which is interesting. So we think about organizational health or personal health, right? There's a difference between saying, I just don't want to be sick versus I want to get really healthy. I want to get in the best shape of my life. And a lot of people are going, hey, I just want to make sure I'm not sick. So they'll pick up the book. Okay, great. I got that. I got that. I got some, I got a team. Great. Blah, blah, check, check, check. Versus saying, no, no, no. I want to get in the best shape of my life. That's what health is to me. And those are the leaders that we love working with. And they set the tone and they, they're the ones that really win and, and set the example in the market. Yeah. Now that's great. So a next step, if a listener, first time they've heard this, they're yeah. drinking the Kool-Aid, what yeah. would you recommend, Gordon, yeah. for them? I mean, there's kind of three steps. I think it is it is important to read some of Pat's books because I, not just to read the book, but because of the stories, I think just help you to uh, think of things differently, see things a bit differently. So I would re- recommend either writing, reading The Five Dysfunctions of a Team or The Advantage. And then if you're ready for the next step, I think the simplest step is to take a team assessment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a 38-question team assessment that just says, okay, You want to see what your team really thinks about this? Let's ask them what they think about these actual behaviors. It's 38 positive behaviors, but you ask the team, how frequently do these behaviors actually happen and getting feedback? And we set a pretty high bar for that. And and taking that team assessment and seeing what your team really thinks um, is is, is a great step. And then, you know, then being willing to take the next step and saying, let's put the report out there. Let's let's get in the conference room or at a hotel across the street and let's have a conversation about this assessment. I've, I've done that with with so many teams at this point. And I every time it's a rich conversation, one that needs to happen. And I haven't had one team, Tim, look at me and say, I don't agree with these behaviors. No, you know, we shouldn't do these behaviors. Right. Every team says, yeah, we need to do this. And, and very rarely, if ever, have we set, get a te- gotten to a team where they said, hey, I've, I've already mastered all this stuff. There's always some stuff to work on. Yeah, that's great. And Gordon, feel free to challenge what I'm saying. Yeah. But for the listeners, if you've not read any of Pat's books, I would recommend reading The Advantage first. Yeah. And the reason that I would is because it's got the, it's got the information about the five dysfunctions of a team already in there. Mm-hmm. As compared to reading, if if you know if you if org health is important to you, but you may you may challenge that statement. So 
Yeah, I think the, it's the only book that's not a fable, as you said. And so there's a different, there's just apples to oranges. I find yeah. reading, I think it's both. I think reading the fable and, and watching an actual team try to do that work is fascinating. And it does unlock parts of your, unlock parts of your brain that you may not realize. But the advantage is great in the sense it just lays it all out there. There's a ton of case studies, examples of organizations of what they've done. So if you really just need something just to help you understand the full methodology, I'd say that you, you've got to at some point use the advantage. But if you need a primer and you're just not even sure what the heck we're talking about and you just want to see a great example of a team, yeah, in one cross-country cross, uh, flight, you can get through the whole thing. And I, I can almost guarantee you, you will be entertained and convicted as you watch. Uh, so the fables, uh, the, the fabled organization is Catherine Peterson, the CEO and her company decision tech. And it's a great story. I've reread it myself two or three times. Yeah. And I agree. I think, you know, for the listeners, if you, if you want to hear to me, Pat's known for his simple yep. fa- leadership fables. Yep, if you enjoy them. reading that, Go read the five dysfunctions. If you want to get into the meat and potatoes of why things work, how yeah. things work in there with some true case examples, read the advantage. I think they they I think that for them to have a choice is good. So yeah. And hey, right. um, Gordon, one thing we've talked almost nothing about today is that our business at Sergeant Metal, we are knee deep in organizational health and yeah. you are our consultant for this. So yeah. in, in in our future podcast or several podcasts, we look forward to unpacking some of that because it's um uh, it's simple, but it's some of the messiest, hardest work we've ever done. But I'm I'm excited on where we are and where we're heading. And yeah, I you know, think we can have some great conversation. Because it's so simple, you're right. And yet if you gave the same simple, simple principle to 100 leaders, I guarantee you're going to get 100 different versions. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because everyone's absolutely. trying to apply it in a different context, and it's no different with you and your team. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, hey, well, uh, listeners, you know, thank you for being with us. And we'll have Gordon for another month or two or whatever he has um, whatever it takes for us to really have a great understanding of org health. Gordon, thank you for being our guest today. You bet. Pleasure. Can't wait to the next one. Absolutely. Hey, and for our listeners, hey, tune in next month. Take care and God bless. If you would like to continue the journey with us, please subscribe and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. If there are any specific topics you would like to hear, be sure to put that in the comments as well. We will be launching a new podcast on the first Wednesday of every month. If you know others that will get benefit from listening to this podcast, please share it with them and we'll be seeing you guys next month.